Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And daughter, do death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm all right. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, it's it's been a shorter week at work because we had the bank holiday on Monday last week. I'm we? so confused as to what day it is. <laughs> it's Friday what week today. It is. <laughs> I have no idea. It's been a really upside down few weeks. So. <laughs> just, just gone into September. <laughs> yes, we finally made it into September. Yeah, it you're, finally ended. September, October, your favourite months. My very favourite time <laughs> of the year. Yes. Yeah. The Halloween pumpkins are ready. I've ordered some um, pumpkin hand wash from eBay, I forgot to tell you. Um, I've got my skulls out. We're good to go. <laughs> you did? Oh, uh, Bath and Body Works stuff? Yeah. <laughs> oh, for me? Okay. All right. My uh, my sources aren't currently able to support me in my venture to get some <laughs> from the other side of uh, the world. So, yeah, eBay yeah. should hopefully deliver. <laughs> okay. If anyone any, has... Any American listeners listening? Yeah. Who, uh, <laughs> Access to Bath and Body Works. <laughs> who wants to send us some uh, pumpkin cupcake foaming hand wash? specifically <laughs> send us a message very grateful. send us a message yeah. <laughs> that would be great yeah so i guess the big news this week is that abba are back yes very exciting very exciting maybe wow. they just saw that the world really needed a lift after the last 18 months and they thought we know the exact way to do that and that's by <laughs> re-injecting some abba back into the world <laughs> maybe that is the truth yes <laughs> So it's probably brought a lot of joy to quite a few people. Yes, I know a lot of people <laughs> who were very joyful yesterday. So, um, And I like the new songs as well. I think they're yeah, great. Yeah, they are good. I do like them. Yeah, and I'm looking they forward to hearing like the They sound like proper ABBA. It's not like they've decided to go all like techno or like funk with it. It just sounds like traditional mm. ABBA, which is great. So apart from ABBA, is there any uh, other news that we should be aware of? Bearing in mind, this is a true crime so i was interested to see a couple of weeks ago that they had kind of ramped up some things with the claudia lawrence case who's obviously the chef that disappeared in 2009 i think it was yeah yeah, march 2009 and that over the last couple of days they've been draining a lake to see if they can find anything so i think that's interesting i mean it'd be great if they found something that kind of pointed more into the direction of her but i figured they must have some sort of intelligence to want to train yeah. a, a lake. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if anything does come of that. Yes, that could be pretty gruesome, couldn't it? Or even if they just find some sort of evidence that kind yeah. Of yeah. points in the right direction of where she might be. If it's been in a lake for 10, 12 years, it's going to be very decomposed yeah. and muddy, I should think. Yeah. Or even if they find, like, they never found her phone or anything, did they? So even if they find her phone or right. something like that and that would kind of you know help I guess there was a bit of an update in the Laurie Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell case okay in that uh, Chad Daybell's five children I think it is um did an interview where they said that they think that their dad was framed um oh, okay and that they have been told that their mom who was Tammy Daybell was asphyxiated so that's interesting but they kind of said she was asphyxiated but that just means that she stopped breathing didn't it so I, but I read asphyxiated to me that she was smothered or strangled so yeah. that's interesting that they've kind of said that I, I think it was him but 
it was a week before that she died he'd bought their wedding rings online or something like that so uh, yeah. it was all really close intertwined with when him and Laurie were yeah, going to yeah. kind of elope yeah. together yeah the so, timing was rather suspicious wasn't it mm, yeah a little bit yeah <laughs> and buying these wedding rings oh whoops my wife's just my died. wife's accidentally died <laughs> and let's just bury her without having a post-mortem do the children haven't offered up any uh suggestions as to who it might be that have framed him I think they think that it's all Laurie, Ballow, oh, okay. Daybell, that she's kind of um, masterminded the whole thing. That's kind of what they were saying. That she set him up for it, basically. Who knows? It's uh, That's for the courts to decide, I guess. Absolutely, yeah, not for us. No. <laughs> <laughs> we can speculate. But, uh, yes. That's all we can do. Just talking of America, they've had a few problems with a bit of rain this week, especially in the northeast New York area. Did you see the videos of the, <laughs> the water, water in the subway? Subways, oh, my yeah. God. It was like something out of a film. It was, yes. <laughs> it was just pouring in, wasn't it? Oh, my God. Like, uh, that, um, yeah. Something's going. Something's wrong there, isn't it? That's, that's not normal yeah. rainfall. But, well, the, the amazing thing was, oh, it was only in August, they had this huge amount of rainfall which measures something like 43 millimetres in an hour in Central oh Park. And, and that broke a record. That's a lot. And, and then, um, what was it, Mon- uh, Wednesday night that it happened when they had the That's, huge deluge? Yeah. I think it was so, the yeah. back end of, uh, what was Ida. Hurricane Ida? Storm Ida. And that then dumped 80 millimetres of rain in oh an God. hour on Central Park. So the same place, almost double what was already a record-breaking amount of rain. That is so amazing. there's too many of these uh, flood events going on now, aren't there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We had Germany a couple of months ago, whatever that was, when yeah. they were flooded. We've had all that in America. There's a lot of flooding going on at the moment. Yeah. So, so the only other thing I wanted to just touch on in, in terms of the news this week was the fact that Colin Pitchfork was released from prison this week after having spent 33 years for the murder and rape of two young girls back mm. in the mid-80s. So he was convicted in 88 and uh, has been released on parole. And uh, this is a situation where someone who's carried out a yeah, pretty horrible crime has been sentenced to what is called life imprisonment. Yeah. But that probably with the minimum amount of time to to serve and has now reached the end of that time. Yeah, he served his sentence, didn't he? He did, yes. Which kind of links into the story that I'm going to tell you this evening. Okay. And I suppose this could become more and more of a thing, couldn't it, where convicted prisoners, unless they die in the first yeah. sort of 20, 30 years of their sentence could easily be released he's, he's 61 now so he's not old old no and he um, was relatively young when he committed his crime wasn't he, he was yeah yeah and he still served a long time in prison he hasn't done you know, he 33 years well 33 years is longer than i've been alive so that <laughs> yeah, is <laughs> life <laughs> isn't it really it is um, yeah the whole of your life a bit he's yeah. uh he's spent in prison but is it right that people should be let out after tricky that's a really tricky question isn't it? it is yeah that's how restorative justice works by okay you go to prison you serve your time and you release that's how it right. works isn't it but <laughs> there's this question about should people who do things like this ever be released yeah well in the states let's say for example he probably yeah. would never have been released 
No. You'd have probably had life without parole for that sort of crime. Yeah. And interestingly, like the case that we did a couple of weeks ago about Joanne Dennehy, she she murdered three people, which obviously is only one more than two, but she's in prison forever. They've said that she will never be released. Mm-hmm. What determines whether someone stays in prison forever or that they're given a chunk of time that they yeah. get released? But I guess we're not judges, are we? We, we don't work in the legal profession. <laughs> no. So so the story I was going to tell you about in, in this episode kind of touches on that, but there's a little bit of a twist that goes with it. Okay. So I'm going to tell you about Kenneth Erskine, or also sometimes referred to as the Stockwell Strangler. Interesting. Okay. So Kenneth Erskine was born in July 1963 in Hammersmith, West London. His parents were Charles and Margaret Erskine. Charles was from Antigua. Margaret was British. Kenneth was the eldest of four boys and they lived and he was raised in Putney which is a sort of which is an area just south of the river in mm-hmm. London now allegedly he was a quiet boy when he was younger the, the, the only thing I can find about his sort of childhood was that he was a quiet boy who would read the bible oh okay nice which is which is fine but Were they I... from the Plymouth Brethren? <laughs> I don't think, no, there's no, no mention of the Plymouth Brethren. I guess he might have gone to Sunday school, as, as a lot of kids did back in those days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if his parents were churchgoers and whatever, that, that, that might have been it. But, but to have his childhood summed up as being a quiet boy who read the Bible is yeah. a bit, uh, yeah, there's not much else there. I'm sure he did more than that in his first 10 or 12 years, but... Uh, it, it's whatever he did do, though, in his childhood is, is largely irrelevant. But when he did get a bit older, when he sort of got to about 10, 11, his behaviour became unpredictable and he became okay. a little bit difficult to live with. So much so that uh, the school he was at couldn't cope with him anymore. Oh and he was sent to a series of schools for maladjusted children. Oh, wow. OK. So, Yeah. And on top of all of that, his parents divorced when he was 12. He right. felt abandoned. He'd obviously got behavioural issues, probably some sort of other, at that time, undiagnosed problems mm. for which he perhaps should have had some help with. But his behaviour turned to violence, not only against his fellow students, but also against his teachers. And there's one report of him having stabbed a teacher's hand with a pair of scissors. Oh my god! Uh, and on a on a school swimming trip from one of the schools he was attending, he repeatedly held a boy's head underwater. Oh and god! He, and he was only uh, releasing him when it, when teachers intervened and uh, told oh him to god. stop. Basically, so he was showing this sort of violent tendency, <laughs> almost murderous, if he's trying to drown the yeah. other boys. <laughs> And then if he was being sort of shown any kindness by people in authority, like social workers or teachers or anybody that tried to help him, he had this inclination to try and shock them. And he would do things like rub his body up against them and things like that in a suggestive way. And, And he was just, yeah, not very grateful for anything that anybody did for him. Okay. Difficult child. And I think, really, the system gave up on him pretty much. He fell out of school. He was a drifter. 
he didn't really have a home because his home life was in in pieces. He lived in squats and abandoned buildings in the Stockwell area of okay. London, which at the time, and this is all happening now in the 70s and early 80s, was a pretty rundown area. Yeah. A lot of social housing and very mm. old, not very nice social housing, abandoned, beaten up, burnt out cars. Uh, mm. I think you can sort of imagine the sort of area that it was. Yeah. I, I don't know Stockwell now, and it's it's not very far from the centre of London, but I should imagine it's pretty nice area, <laughs> I would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> so not surprisingly, in order to survive, Kenneth Erskine turned to burglary. And he would break into places and steal things and sell them. And he became very good at it. Over time, he was able to open 10 different bank accounts with the proceeds of his robberies. And, oh, my uh, goodness. His burglaries. Yeah. So he, he had, he had um, some money, but it was yeah. all stolen. So you can't honestly say it was his, I suppose. And he was caught several times doing this. And this is when he's still a youth, really. And, and he was sent to youth offending places for a while. He was held in custody. He was sentenced to periods in youth offenders' places mm-hmm. and, and later prison, I think, for short periods of time. But then he'd be released and then he'd just go back to his vagrant lifestyle. So I think you right. might be able to get a, a, a sense of the sort of person yeah. he was. There's no mention in anything that I've read and I have to say, there's quite a lot of information about what he did in various books that I've got, and also, of course, on the internet. Um, but I haven't seen any mention of any drugs or anything like that, so I don't yeah. think that that was a motive, although who can say. Now, in 1986, there are a spate of murders. They all occurred over a relatively short period of a few months between February and July of that year in an area around Stockwell. Okay. (laughs) So the first murder in this sequence of events took place on the 4th of February, 1986, where a man called John Jordan, who was 57, was found lying on the floor next to his bed. He'd been strangled and sexually assaulted within his own flat. Right, okay. Then on the 9th of April, a lady called Nancy Ems, who was 78, was found dead in her apartment. No. Now, when she was in her in her flat, and when she was originally found, her doctor put it down to natural causes. Okay. However, her care worker that used to come in and look after her Noticed that a few things were missing from her flat, uh, including her television, which which aroused suspicion. So when they looked at uh, Nancy in a bit more detail, they discovered that she had actually been (gasps) raped and strangled. And it wasn't natural causes at all. Oh, no. How old did you say she was? 78. Oh, no. Yeah. 6th of May, a man, Charles Quarrell. He was 73. And he was found suffocated in his own home. Twenty-eighth oh. of May, Wilfred Parks, he was seventy, 
and he was found strangled in his flat, Mm-mm. which was located in Albemarle House on the Stockwell Estate. On so all 90- kind of older people. They're all older people. Yeah. In fact, the first one we spoke about, John Jordan, 57. He's the youngest. Youngest, okay. That was part of this. Yeah. 9th of June, Janet Crockett, 67. She was found strangled in her bed. She also had broken ribs, which evidently were from someone having been kneeling on her chest. But in the case of Janet Crockett, police found a palm print on the bathroom window. Interesting. Yeah. 27th of June. Fred Prentice, 73, he was an elderly gentleman who was living in a care home. Someone broke into his room and attempted to strangle him. This person held him down. He tried on three separate occasions to put his hands around Fred's throat to strangle him. He couldn't scream out or anything because of the voice was being constricted, but he did manage to hit his emergency alarm by the side of his bed in the home. The attacker ran off and he actually survived. Oh, that's good. So he is the only person that we know of that survived an attack during this particular period. Now, on the 28th of June, so this is just the very next day, and once again, a care home was broken into. Within that care home were living two Polish men, Valentine Glim, who was 84, and Zbigniew Strabrava, who was 90. Oh, wow. Okay. That they were both found strangled and sexually assaulted. Oh, no. Oh, it's 90. I know. 94. Oh, Oh, God. 84. 8th of July, 1986. William Carmen, 84. He was found in bed in his home, strangled and sexually assaulted. It must be some sort of like power thing. Yeah. Because it's not just men, is it, or not just women? It's No, it's not. It's old people. It's old people, yeah. 12th of July, Trevor Thomas, he was 75. He was found in his bath, having oh. been strangled and sexually assaulted. 20th of July, William Downs, 74, strangled and sexually assaulted. And he lived in the same uh, block of apartments as Janet Crockett, who was one of his one of the first victims back on the 9th of June, where they found the palm print. Mm-hmm. And in the case of William Downs, they actually found another palm print on the gate to the property. Interesting. So uh, then on the 23rd of July, Florence Tisdale, 83. She was found strangled and sexually assaulted in bed in her flat in quite a fashionable area of that part of London near the near the Putney Bridge. Right. Um, now, that happened to be the day that Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson got married. Oh, no way. And apparently she'd had her hair done for the occasion. And oh. She sort of had, in, had enjoyed the day. And there were parties and things going on in the streets around mm-hmm. and the pubs noise and everything when somebody broke into her flat at night and basically carried out the same sort of attack. Oh, no. And she had her head and everything. And she'd had her head and everything. She was, um, by all accounts, a, a lovely old lady 
who was particularly fond of her cats. And they think that having the cats may have contributed to her downfall because she would always leave the window open for them to come in and out. And forensic investigation discovered that the window was, in fact, the way in which the perpetrator came into the flat. Oh, no. But actually left through the front door. Right. So that's 11. 11 elderly people, that's all strangled, some of which were sexually assaulted. Motive? Difficult to say, really. Partly robbery, as in the case of the television and things, but there's very little evidence of of money or other possessions being stolen in these cases. So, as you say, yeah, a power thing a hatred for elderly people. Mm. I'm sure there might be some psychologists somewhere that might have a view on yeah. on that, but we can only speculate because there's nothing really that says. Points to that, yeah. Now, on the 28th of July, 1986, Kenneth Erskine went to a social security office. So it could have been the... Uh, Stockwell Job Centre, yeah. <laughs> to claim benefits. Okay. Now, for some reason, um, the staff there called the police. Something to do with the fact that he had an undeclared bank account, so maybe it was one of the ten that he oh, still yeah. had. <laughs> from Quite pre- a bank account, was, yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, the police were called and they arrested him. Now. Bearing in mind, he already had a pretty long criminal record from the days when he was in and out of prison doing burglaries and things. Um, His fingerprints and palm prints were on file already. Okay. So when they found these palm prints, they were able to match them to Kenneth Erskine. Okay. Fairly early on, I think. But one of the problems was they had no idea where he was. Right, okay. Now, how the tie-up between the Social Security Office and the police happened, I can't find out why. But as a result of his visit to the Social Security Office, he was arrested. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and basically he was uh, held on suspicion of committing some, if not all, of these murders. Because they all followed the same sort of MO. They all had evidence of someone kneeling on the chest, using the left hand to cover the mouth and the right hand to strangle the victim. Okay. And these are all frail people who wouldn't be able to fight off a young, fit, 20-something man. Apart from that one guy who did. Apart from the one guy who did manage to survive the strangulation and hit the button, yeah. Yeah. Which, incidentally, brings us to the point that when they had Kenneth Erskine in custody, they arranged a lineup, and they brought along oh. Frederick Prentice, the survivor of the attack, to look at the lineup, and, of course, he picked him out as being the, uh, the perpetrator. I always wonder, if you are a criminal... And you put in a lineup, like why you agreed to be put in a lineup? Because they're going to pick you out, aren't they? <laughs> like if you know you did it, or do they just make you do it? I don't know. Actually, it's a good point. Yeah. Though I heard someone talking on the radio about um, being paid to go and be like other people in a, in a lineup, and they were saying about this 
guy and they'd asked him to come down because he was the person that they were trying to convict <laughs> and and he did turn up and I'm thinking that's weird like surely you just wouldn't go <laughs> but then I guess they'd be like why didn't you turn up so the police had him he was picked out by Frederick Prentice as being the uh person who tried to strangle him the police managed to gather evidence for seven of the murders that pointed to the fact that Kenneth Erskine had carried them out but a trial duly started the defense basically claimed that he had a mental disorder they shouldn't be found guilty on the grounds of diminished responsibility but nevertheless he was found guilty of the seven murders good he was sentenced to life with a minimum of 40 years. And what year was that? 1988, when he was actually okay. convicted. So that would make it 2028. Yeah. That he would be eligible. Well, that his 40 years comes up. However, they did agree, the courts did agree, that there was some mental issues. Okay. So he wasn't actually sent to prison but instead went to Broadmoor which we said in other episodes is a maximum secure hospital yep where people like the craze and the Yorkshire Ripper and other notorious criminals have been incarcerated Mm. there so Erskine is now in Broadmoor hospital since January 1988 or thereabouts uh, on the 23rd of February, 1996, he mm. actually saved the life of serial killer Peter Sutcliffe. No way. Yorkshire Ripper. When Paul Wilson, who was another inmate there, tried to strangle Peter Sutcliffe with the, uh, with the, with the cable from a pair of headphones. <gasps> no uh, way. And, yeah, Kenneth Erskine and one other inmate managed to raise the alarm and, and pull him off and um save no his way. life wow so yeah if it had bluetooth in those days then he wouldn't have had yeah. a cable i suppose to <laughs> if he'd have had some airpods he'd have been fine <laughs> yes <laughs> so um yeah that, that's an interesting bit of um, yeah bit of an wow. adventure that happened to him further assessments were taken of kenneth erskine Particularly in September 2004, he underwent a lot of tests, a lot of analysis, and a report was finally issued in 2006 that concluded that Kenneth Erskine suffered from chronic schizophrenia and antisocial personality disorder, and it was likely that he'd been suffering with those things since around about 1980, when he would have been like 16, 17 years old. In July 2009, following an appeal, the seven murder convictions Mm. were actually commuted to manslaughter. Interesting. On the grounds of diminished responsibility. Because they decided that he was suffering from schizophrenia. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, which is kind of what the defence was trying to say in in uh, 1988 when, when he was on trial, 87, 88 when he was on trial. But yeah, after all that time to have his convictions downgraded, in effect, to manslaughter was quite something. Yeah. But it didn't seem to make an awful lot of difference at the time. Uh, However, in 2016, he was moved from Broadmoor to Thornfield Park Hospital, which is referred to as a medium secure hospital. 
which we talked about when we were looking at the uh, Graham Young case, where the Home Secretary of the time set up a network of medium secure hospitals under the yes. as part of the NHS system for for people, and that's where he is now. No, oh, okay. But he may be eligible for parole in 2023. Okay. So not long, man. <laughs> not long at all. So going back to the Colin Pitchfork thing, mm. <laughs> like you say, it's restorative justice. Hopefully he has reformed. That's why they've moved him to a less secure institution. I guess they wouldn't have done that unless they were sure that uh, things it are okay. So. Yeah. yeah. But who knows? In a couple of years' time, Kenneth Erskine could be released. Mm. Oh. So, although he was convicted of, well, originally seven murders, but now seven manslaughters on the grounds of diminished responsibility, they're pretty certain that he committed all 11 of those uh, murders that I I went through. I was literally just about to ask that. (laughs) I think they did those other four as well. Yeah. 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 That's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, so yeah, it it made me think. When was it that we started giving people sentences which were in like twenty five, thirty years for murder? Because um, if these things had happened in the forties or fifties, then the chances are they might have been hanged. Hanged, Yeah. (laughs) For something. Well, yeah. If he'd if he'd have murdered eleven people in the thirties, he'd have been hanged. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. They wouldn't have really called into question his mental health, would they? They'd have just hung him. But then is that why we are better as a society? You know, we're more advanced as a society now because we take these things into consideration when we are looking at crimes. Yeah. But are we getting to a point now where people that have been sentenced to life, but where it only means 20 or 30 years, Mm. that they're now starting to be released? Yeah, well, I mean, there was a lot of murders in the 70s and 80s, isn't there? Well, there were, yeah. Yeah. Are they all going to start coming out of prison now? Maybe. Because it's been 34 years, hasn't it, since the 70s and 80s? Mm. It's just an interesting, and as I say, we we saw that with Colin Pitchford. There's a a whole parole board to go through, and it may be that they'll look at his case and decide not to. And I know that Colin Pitchford's was turned down several times, I think, wasn't he? Um, I think so, yeah. But then it makes you think, well, what changed for them to say, yeah, okay, you can go now? Yeah. And how do you know that they're just not going to snap again? Yeah. Because I I think this is definitely an argument in America in that people just get institutionalised into the prison system, don't they? And they just don't know how to live without it, even if they go there for such a short period of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kenneth Erskine would have been in prison for best part, well, nearly 35 years. Yeah. That's going to be pretty institutionalising, yeah. I would have thought. And how do you reintegrate back into the world when you've lived in a prison for 35 years? Like, think how different the world is now than it was yeah. 35 years ago. Completely different. But if he'd been convicted of manslaughter in 1988, how long would he have been given then? You know, I was thinking that when they said they downgraded it, I yeah. thought you were going to say, and then he was released. Like, no, well, like, I was really that's, surprised. That's, that that's, that's a slightly weird thing, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, it's been degraded, downgraded to, to manslaughter. It's only kind of not five years off his sentence. Maybe, or maybe this is when the first parole would have been heard anyway yeah. after 35 years. But uh... It's because I'll say like life with 25 years minimum, but then they consider parole earlier don't, sometimes, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I don't really understand how it works. 
it's very complicated. <laughs> it is complicated. And, and it's case by case, isn't it, really? There we'll have to retrain. Been... One of us is going to have to retrain. <laughs> there would have been loads of people working on this. Oh, God, Hundreds yeah. of case studies done on him, I'm sure. Um... There's, um, and there's a case this week of that I read, or was it last week, of the guy who did a mass shooting in... Oh, I can't remember. It was it was a white guy, a lot of, and it was like a black church, and he went in and shot all, a lot of people, and he was sentenced to death. And they've said that they're not even going to entertain an appeal, and they're just going to put him to death, like okay, really soon, because they're like, no, there's, it's absolutely inconclusive that you committed this murder and you deserve to be put to death for it, and that should go through quite quickly. And it's, I think, it's like one of the quickest committing the crime to right. death. That's happening at the moment, is it? In America, yeah. Okay. And like you say, you know, if the death penalty had been in place in the eighties, would he have just been put to yeah. death? Well, on the evidence that they had available, what they considered, yeah. and he may well have been. So again, we're finding that there's a situation where someone had got mental health problems. Yeah, that wasn't picked up, wasn't treated. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the vast majority of people that we've talked about over the last thirty weeks yeah. have all really had the vast majority of them have had some sort of mental health issues haven't they and I don't know if that's something that I've ever really kind of thought about so much before when it comes to kind of murderers and true crime and stuff like that is actually how much mental illness plays a part in it I remember when that guy in Norway did that mass shooting on the island yeah, and they said, no, he was completely sane. And people were like really clamoring for them, him to find him insane, basically, because they couldn't cope that a totally sane person had done something like that. But actually, yeah. the amount of kind of clinically sane people who do things like that are few and far between, aren't they? Well, how do you, how do you know? I mean, it's well, um... it seems from the you know, the stories that we've kind of talked about, and you know, even if it was just something that happened in someone's childhood, that's some sort of kind of trauma that's had an impact on their mental health going forward, isn't it? Interesting. And again, I suppose if you took any murder, yeah. you could you could um, diagnose them with a personality disorder for the very oh, fact yeah. that they murdered well, someone. That's the thing, so. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So that's it. That's the story of Kenneth Erskine, his murders, and where he is today. Mm, thank you for that. That was really interesting. I had not heard of him. No. So thank you for bringing him to my attention. And yeah, another really interesting one about prison and what uh, prison length and mental illness, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we're, as you, well, we're finding a lot of connections in, in those areas. There's a few pictures of Kenny Fairskin as he was back in the day and some pictures of his victims, which I can put onto our social media accounts. You can find our Instagram. At Dad and Daughter Do Death. Or you can find our Facebook. Just look for Dad and Daughter Do Death. Uh, or you can drop us an email if you want to at dadanddaughterdodeath at gmail.com. And thank you very much for listening. We hope you found this interesting. If you've liked listening to us, please do leave us um, a little review or some likes on the platform that you are listening through. Um, it's always good to get your feedback. Yeah, and tell your family and friends and uh, see if they'd like to listen to one of our now 30 episodes that we have. 
We've unlocked quite the archive. (laughs) (laughs) We are. 30 episodes of British and European murders. And in the case of last week's episode, strange deaths. We've got some exciting plans for the next few weeks, haven't we? Because we're officially entering spooky season. Oh, yes. So we've got some exciting plans for October. <laughs> yes. Then look, look, look out for some October themed. <laughs> yeah. October themed. Uh, October themed. <laughs> Murders and things. Yeah. So join us next yeah. time when dad and daughter do death.